May it please the listeners. My name is Rich Schoenstein, and this is Law Brief. Today, I have with me two of my colleagues, Simone Malinowski and Eli Rudolph. They are members of our firm's COVID-19 team. And we're going to, for the first time on this podcast, delve into some of the legal issues that have come up during this pandemic. And more specifically, monetary relief programs coming out of the Small Business Administration or the SBA. Simone and Eli, welcome. Thank you for having me. Good morning, Rich. We are all we are all dialed in remotely, which is the way we're all doing business these days. The COVID-19 crisis generated swift action from Congress, and they passed something, and jump on me, guys, if I get any of this wrong, called the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, which we are referring to as the CARES Act. And do you guys, one of you guys want to give a general overview about the CARES Act? Sure. So the CARES Act is part three of the overall governmental response to the uh, coronavirus pandemic. It's broad and sweeping. It contains some newly created funding uh, that is intended to assist both small and medium-sized businesses. It created a number of different loan facilities. It also includes information regarding the $1,200 stimulus plan. And it, it was enacted at the end of March, signed into law by uh, President Trump on March 27th. We'll be focusing mainly on the Paycheck Protection Program and the Emergency Injury Disaster Loan Program on this particular podcast. Okay, that's great. That grounds us well. Why don't you start with the Paycheck Protection Program, uh, Eli? Maybe you can give us a little overview of that. Sure. So the Paycheck Protection Program, or the PPP as we'll refer to it, is a newly created loan facility under the CARES Act that is intended to allow employers to maintain their payroll and keep employees off of unemployment as a result of the coronavirus pandemic. Under the PPP, small businesses, uh, generally businesses that together with their affiliates have fewer than 500 employees, may obtain a loan equal to two and a half times their monthly payroll costs. The CARES Act does define payroll costs to include wages, commissions, salaries, up to $100,000 on an annualized basis, as well as uh, employer portion of medical expenses such as, such as insurance uh, premiums and if the employer contributes to a 401k or other retirement account, those are also included in payroll costs. Eli, when you say up to 500 employees, does it matter what the economics of the company are, how much their revenues are, how much their net worth is, or is it just an employee account? There are a number of ways of determining whether you qualify as a quote unquote small business. The, the simplest is whether the employer, together with its affiliates, has 500 or fewer employees. It doesn't have any regard to the revenues of the company. 
Are there circumstances where a company with more than 500 employees can get a PPP loan? Yeah, Rich. So if you're a a small business concern uh, that would be otherwise eligible uh, under the small business employee-based or revenue-based standards corresponding to its primary industry, uh, those businesses would still be eligible. So, you know, broadly speaking, if you're, if you would otherwise be eligible under the SBA's small business definitions, then you would still be eligible for applying for a PPP loan. This is just a brief overview, and there are a lot of information out there and a lot of uh, additional information that we could provide to those interested. Uh, This is just a high-level overview and doesn't get into all the specifics. I should emphasize that, you know, we're we're trying to cover in 15 or 20 minutes a lot of ground and we're only going to be able to do the highlights. You know, these programs came out on reams and reams of paper and have a lot of detail in them. And the PPP loans, are those loans or are they gifts? What are they? So they start off as a loan. Um, and then the borrower is eligible to request forgiveness from the lender. Uh, as long as the funds are used for the, uh, permitted purposes, which are payroll costs and certain eligible expenses such as rent, mortgage interest, and utilities, but not to exceed 25% of the loan, then the loan would be eligible for forgiveness. And what you would do is at the end of the cover period, which right now is defined as the eight weeks following your receipt of the loan proceeds, you could submit a application to your lender requesting forgiveness. Unfortunately, as of the date of this podcast, we don't have either the loan forgiveness application, which the SBA is supposed to be putting out, And we don't have any additional guidance on the uh, forgiveness process. And the lender, by the way, is a private bank, right? These are commercial banks that are offering loans through these programs? Correct. Uh, It's not through the the SBA isn't the lender. It's SBA-approved lenders. So uh, banks, credit unions. I know that PayPal is an approved lender as well. So they are trying to make this as broadly available as possible. Right. And the forgiveness would essentially mean that the government would pay off the loan. Correct. The lender would, to the extent that it's forgiven, the lender would submit it to the government for uh, payment. Okay. Simone, I, I, uh, I hear Eli saying that we don't have guidance on uh, the forgiveness requirements quite yet. What are the other current issues out there? at a high level on these PPP loans? The most recent guidance that has garnered a lot of attention has been with respect to the required certification and PPP loan applications, that the prospective borrower's current economic uncertainty makes this loan request necessary to support the ongoing operations of the applicant. And There has been subsequent guidance, uh, first published in an FAQ from the Treasury Department on April 23rd, and then Treasury Secretary Mnuchin has made speeches about it that have been codified in subsequent FAQs that have been in response to the fact that lots of large public companies 
obtain these loans in the first round of funding from the public perception to the detriment of small businesses that needed them. And the guidance that has come out has has called into question whether or not a company that has access to liquidity and other sources of revenue can in good faith certify that the PPP loan is necessary to support their ongoing operations. Meaning that a company that qualifies as a small business because it has less than 500 employees might be in a position where they have their own access to funds and don't need this government program. Am I getting that right? And you are getting that right. It, It is the question of need is inherently subjective, which is why it has caused a lot of uh, consternation in the community of businesses that have already either obtained loans or submitted applications. And the, the issue that has come up is that when the PPP loans were first being issued with the guidance that was initially put forth, there was express language that stated that Unlike other SBA loans, in this circumstance, the lenders, the borrowers didn't need to show that they had no other access to capital. So no other comparable loan that they could get. And so lots of businesses, based on the plain language of the statute and the guidance that was issued then, applied and a large number of them received loans. And then you have this guidance that comes out from the Treasury Department that says, well, you really need to reconsider whether or not you've made this certification in good faith. And as part of that guidance, the Treasury Department stated that if you think that this certification maybe wasn't really in good faith and in the spirit of the guidance that we've now issued, you can either withdraw your application or if you've already received the funds, return those funds by May 7th of 2020 and we'll consider you to be in good faith. And the scary part for lots of businesses is that the question of whether or not you really need the money is gray. Lots of businesses have other access to capital. They can go out and get a loan separate from the PPP program. If you are a fiscally responsible business and you have cash in the bank and could, in theory, use some of that money to support your payroll costs and other permissible expenses under the PPP loan program, is the PPP funding really necessary? And For businesses, that question becomes scary because the primary appeal of this program is is that the loans are forgivable. And if you remove the forgiveness component of it, then you're looking at a loan at a 1% interest rate, which is still quite appealing. But then there is this language that's included in the interim final rules that have been proffered by the Treasury Department and the SBA that say that if there has been a misappropriation of funds, that there could be consequences to that. And it's concerning for businesses because need is not really a, a clear, clear, clear term. 
Okay. So some care has to be given before one just makes a mad dash to the cash. Are there other current issues with the PPP loans aside from need and forgiveness? Well, the forgiveness is a, is a really big one. And those are the two things that are really up in the air um, because they're the, the two primary issues that affect businesses that, are, that have already received the money. And we do want to emphasize why they're so important. One, if you're a business that's already obtained these loans, you're now looking at a situation where you have the money and you need to determine now relatively quickly whether or not you should give the money back. And two, the primary benefit of these the, the PPP program is that the loan was conceived as being forgivable. And because there hasn't been guidance issued on whether or not or how the forgiveness program or portion of it will actually work, businesses aren't sure what they should be doing with the money while this certainty exists. Right. I mean, at a threshold level, there are going to be requirements for how the money is used in order to obtain this forgiveness, correct? Yes. A minimum of 75% has to be used for payroll costs, and uh, up to 25% could be used for the other eligible expenses. I think if you have a very simple situation where you've maintained the same payroll, as you previously had, uh, i.e. the same number of employees at the same salary. That's sort of a a simple calculation. And I think that's probably the only instance where we could say, you know, forgiveness is almost guaranteed. Once we get into the weeds with different clients and each one has their own variation, a lot of times they're looking to us for responses. And without this additional guidance, we just can't give them any certainty. And that puts everybody in a very awkward position. Now, the the SBA allowed lenders to uh, accept applications beginning on April 3rd for uh, small businesses and April 10th for sole proprietors and independent contractors, which means that you might be already more than four weeks into your eight-week period. And you still don't know what to do about for, for forgiveness, which is the only reason a lot of these businesses have taken out the, the PPP loan. And are there limitations on what a company can do in terms of furloughing employees or reducing compensation if they intend to apply for forgiveness? So w- when you apply for forgiveness, um, you'll have to provide documentation regarding your previous uh, employees during either 2019 or for the 12 months prior to the to, to March 1st, depending on your lender uh, requirement. And then you'll have to provide documentation about your employees during the eight-week covered period. And there's going to be comparisons about how many employees the CARES Act uses the, the term full-time equivalent, but it doesn't define it. But it does say that if there's a reduction in full-time equivalent, there will be a reduction in how much is eligible for forgiveness. Also, if you reduce any single employee's salary, any single employee making $100,000 or less, by more than 25%, 
there'll also be a dollar-for-dollar reduction in forgiveness. There are all these calculations that need to be taken into consideration, but we need specific guidance from the SBA to really be able to make an educated statement as to the forgiveness portion. Right. And and in a way, this podcast episode is episode one of a two-parter because the minute that forbearance guidance comes out, the three of us are going to reassemble and put another one of these out so people can hear your take on whatever the forbearance guidance is. Can you still apply for and get a PPP loan as we sit here today talking about this? Yes. So even though the initial version of the PPP loan ran out of funding, two weeks ago, the federal government passed uh, an enhanced version of the CARES Act that provided an additional $310 billion worth of funding. And the lenders and the SBA began processing applications and issuing loans on April 27th of 2020, so last Monday. And uh, the interesting thing about the additional $310 billion of funding is that of that $310 billion, $30 billion was allocated specifically to lenders that had uh, under $50 billion in assets, with an additional $30 billion allocated specifically to lenders with less than $10 billion in assets. So the federal government is really targeting and emphasizing that they want smaller banks to be able to get access to this money as part of issuing loans. And just anecdotally, we've spoken to a number of our uh, lenders, and they've said that much of the funds are probably allocated already to pre-existing applications. But they do suggest that you that if you're interested to submit an application, a in case there are additional funds, you know, to the extent that some of the businesses choose to return funds uh, because they think they're no longer eligible to make the certification, uh, that money will go back into the pool to be used for new loans. And B, to the extent Congress does decide to approve additional appropriations. It's better to ha- to be in the in the queue waiting as opposed to submitting your application at that time. Right. We don't know what kind of additional appropriations will be made. I mean, this entire thing is turning out to be, I think, longer than people anticipated and hoped at the outset. Let's turn our attention to the other component here, the emergency injury disaster loan. Eli, can you give us an overview of that program? Sure. So the Emergency Injury Disaster Loan, the EIDL, is a pre-existing loan facility, and it's administered by the SBA, meaning that in order to apply, you go to the SBA's website, and the application is actually on the website as opposed to going to any specific lender. Applicants who apply for the EIDL have the opportunity to request an advance of up to $10,000 from the SBA. This advance is generally given, distributed within three days of the loan application being processed. And to the extent that the borrower decides not to move forward with an EIDL loan, then 
that $10,000 becomes a grant, meaning that it doesn't have to be repaid. The annual interest rate on a EID loan, EIDL loan, is uh, 3.75% for for-profit companies, 2.75% for nonprofits, and the maturity is up to 30 years. The first payment is due within one year after the loan origination date, with interest being accrued during the, the deferment. The loan proceeds can be used for any type of financial obligation and operating expense that could have been met had the disaster not occurred. This means that it doesn't need to be used for payroll. It could be used for general corporate purposes. The maximum loan size is $2 million. And any loan that is in excess of $25,000 will generally need uh, a collateral, uh, meaning that the SBA will place a UCC lien on the business's, business's assets. And then for any loan in excess of $200,000, the SBA will require owners of the business to provide guarantees. Will the EIDL loans be forgiven? No. These are traditional loans, uh, relatively low interest, 3.75%, but these are not eligible for forgiveness. If you choose to take out both an EIDL and a PPP loan, uh, to the extent you took out the $10,000 grant, that will reduce the forgiveness amount under the PPP loan. All right. And what is the what is this maximum size of a PPP loan, by the way? PPP loan is it's capped at $10 million, but it's calculated at as two and a half times your monthly payroll costs. So it's the lesser of $10 million or two and a half times your monthly payroll costs. Simone, are there any issues out there for these EIDL loans? For the most part, the, the primary issue is, was funding. Obviously, the EIDL loan garnered less attention than the PPP loans, simply based on the fact that there is no forgiveness component. But even without that feature, the EIDL loans ran out of funding uh, along the same time period as the PPP loans and were also refunded as part of the enhancement to the CARES Act. And the additional funding for the EIDL was an additional $60 billion of funding, um, $50 billion of which was allocated specifically to the loans themselves with an additional $10 billion of funding for the emergency grants. But in terms of developments in the EIDL loans and, and critical issues, it has primarily been a question of funding. All right. Well, listen, I really appreciate you guys bringing us up to speed on some of those programs. As we said earlier, this really just touches the surface. There's only so much we can cover in a short podcast on these topics. Our firm, Tartar Krinsky and Drogan, has a COVID-19 resource center on our website, www.tartarkrinsky.com, that we are constantly updating with information regarding the legal implications of this pandemic, which has touched everything from finance to real estate and construction, certainly labor and employment issues, litigation, and, and all 
sorts of other practice areas, and we're trying to keep up to speed as much as possible. As I said, we're going to return um, with Eli and Simone when we get additional forbearance guidance so we can relay that to you and try to keep you updated. Um, The story doesn't end, right, when you go out and get one of these loans. You have to be careful how you use it. You have to be careful with the records you keep. And if you intend to be applying for forgiveness, you have to be prepared to do that. Well, I want to thank you both for being with us today to talk about this. Eli, you are by trade a general corporate and securities practitioner? Uh, That's correct. I'm an associate in the corporate securities department, Um, general corporate, uh, everything from public and private company financings. And um, we run the gamut from starting companies to selling companies and everything in between. And Simone, you are in our real estate and construction group. Yes. So we advise owners, developers, general contractors, and all stages of construction, um, litigation, contracts, all dispute resolution, and anything that is involved in the construction and real estate phase, uh, we assist our clients with. Right. And both of you uh, are also part of our multidisciplinary COVID-19 group and have been working, I know, very hard in that regard, which we appreciate. Simone or Eli, anything else by way of a closing argument you might suggest on this issue? Well, just to, to that effect, we have suggested to clients to have, if they receive a PPP loan, to have the funds put in a separate designated account, a separate segregated account. This way, once it's time to do the forgiveness submission, it'll be a lot easier to track how funds were used and make sure you have all of your tax returns, Your um, if you use a third party such as ADP or paychecks, make sure you have all the information from them and just be ready to gather as much information regarding the use of funds as possible. Uh, that will go a long way to making the loan forgiveness uh, process easier. All right. Simone, anything to add? This is a program or both of these programs are developing and we're staying as on top of the guidance as possible and As we get more information, we will analyze it and get the information out to our clients, the alerts, and to the public. Um, But the key thing is, is that these things are changing and staying on top of the current guidance is key to making the right decisions in terms of obtaining and then using the PPP loans and the EIDL loans. Right. It's it's an interesting thing. In some ways... Life seems frozen because most of us are staying at home and uh, not not doing the same kind of activities we ordinarily would do. But in another sense, this is a fast-paced, constantly moving event uh, where there are all kinds of new regulations, new advice, new guidance that we need to keep on top of. 
And we're going to do our best to help you do that. So thank you, Eli. Thank you, Simone. We'll be back with you when we have further information to report. Everybody stay safe out there. Thank you again for listening to Law Brief. Now here's something lawyerly, a disclaimer. We are not your lawyers. We do not have an attorney-client relationship, and this podcast does not constitute legal advice. If you need legal advice, you should contact and engage counsel of your own choosing who can best address your own situation and particular needs. You can find more information about our law firm, me, and many of our guests at our website, www.tartarkrinsky.com. We are a mid-size, full-service firm located in New York City and New Jersey. If you want to contact us for any reason, be it comments, topic ideas, or anything else, you can email us at podcast at You can also follow this podcast on iTunes, among other places, and we would very much appreciate it if you rate or review us. I'm Rich Schoenstein, and this was Law Brief. Mm-hmm.